Hey guys and gals, welcome to another episode of the Man Talks podcast, where we're dedicated to building better men through conversation, connection, and community. My name is Roger Nairn. And I'm Connor Beaton. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Imagine having experienced mentors with decades of wisdom delivered right to your ears. On this podcast, we talk about purpose, legacy, influence, love, sex, success, and so much more. Don't forget to leave us a review, subscribe, and join the thousands of other change makers in our community on Facebook, or go to www.mantalks.com. So let's bring on today's guest, Benjamin Shalva. Self-described ambition addict, Benjamin Shalva, who wrote the book, Spiritual Cross Training, and has written an insightful and illuminating new book for anyone who wants to control that destructive strain of ambition and live with integrity. The book is called Ambition Addiction, How to Go Slow, Give Thanks, and Discover Joy Within. In it, he identifies the signs and symptoms of ambition addiction and profiles iconic achievers to help readers identify unhealthy motivations. Then he reveals the five steps to living a fulfilling life of healthy, productive ambition in which grand but elusive fantasies give way to the true happiness of the here and now. So let's bring on Mr. Benjamin Shalva. Hey, Benjamin, welcome to the Man Talks podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks, Roger. It's really great to be here. Awesome. We're super excited about digging into uh, the conversation. But before we do that, we always like to ask our guests if they can share with us a defining moment in your life. A defining moment for me, well, one that comes comes to mind right now is actually something that happened to me when I was uh, studying abroad in Nepal during college. I decided the the study abroad program ended. It was it was early June, and I decided I wanted to go and hike the Annapurna Circuit, which is uh, this this uh, circular hike that takes about three weeks to do in Western Nepal. And I had this whole plan together and packed my, you know, my, my backpack and I was going to trek this uh, on this hike. And when I arrived at the, uh, you know, at, at the bus station in Western Nepal to get to the beginning of the hike, and there was a bit of a bus ride to get to the beginning of the hike. They told me that the the buses were on strike, which was would happen. You know, bus drivers were on strike, which would happen all the time in in, in Nepal. So I decided, you know what? I've got this plan. I'm going to do it. So I decided instead of waiting until the bus drivers got off strike, I was just going to walk the ten miles that it was going to take to get to the starting point of the hike. And this was my first day of hiking, and I hadn't hiked with this huge pack. And I ended up finishing those 10 miles with huge blisters on the bottoms of my feet so bad that I ended up in this little guest house for two or three days, not able to put any weight on my feet. So despondent and, and, and upset about my plan hadn't gone the way I wanted it to. I was stuck in this guest house and I wasn't going to be able to do the hike and I was freaking out. And then all of a sudden, this voice in my head said, you know what, Ben? You don't have to stick with this plan. You don't have to do the hike. You don't even have to do the hike in the timing you've set out to do the hike. Just relax. And I remember all of a sudden this pressure completely eased off. And I was suddenly just a guy chilling out in a guest house in Western Nepal, which was not a bad thing to be doing, and letting my blisters heal. And I grabbed a good book. 
and I drank some chai tea and I just relaxed. And within a couple of days, I was actually back on my feet and I ended up doing the hike. But it always left me with this feeling of, of um, I've got these plans in my head all the time, constantly uh, pushing forward. And, and this story uh, reminds me all the time that actually plans in our head are just that. And it's okay to relax, to let go, and to uh, sometimes to just give ourselves a break so that we can, we can uh, find our new direction. I love that. Um, you know, it's such a such a great story, especially considering the topic that we're you know we're going to talk about today. And uh, you know, you know, because you had the, these ambitions to to finish this this hike, and something came up, and and you had to you had to chill out. And and I can just imagine that in your head, you felt almost guilty originally for having to uh, you know sit back and 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 enjoy yourself. But the reality yeah. was that that's. That's what your body needed at the time, and that's what you needed to do. Um, so you've written this incredible book called Ambition Addiction, uh, How to Go Slow, Give Thanks, and Discover Joy Within. You know, what a great topic, uh, especially in, in this day and age, and especially with, with men. What is it about ambition that, we, uh, that we're so addicted about right now? <laughs> right, right. Well, I, I, I want to clarify from the outset that ambition itself is actually, at least it can be a really positive thing in our lives. I mean, you know, ambition is what, is what gets us up in the morning, encourages us to grow, to, to become better individuals, um, husbands, fathers, professionals, whatever it is that we're doing. Ambition is what's going to drive us to actually improve and to improve the world around us. So it's a really, it's a, it's a great force for good. Um, and I encourage us to cultivate healthy ambition, but you know, I think that ambition does have an addictive quality to it that some of us are really susceptible to. And I think that a lot of us actually turn to ambition in order to uh, avoid some of the, uh, demons in our life, some of the fears that haunt us. And because of that, ambition can become something that moves from being this, uh, this motivator for our own growth and our ability to help others, it can move to suddenly this crutch that we lean upon and we grasp uh, uh, onto and something that ends up really uh, becoming a destructive force in our life. Yeah, I mean, ambition for me uh, for a long time has been something that uh, you know has really like fueled my life. And I'm I'm curious because you have such a diverse background, you know, writer, rabbi, yoga instructor, meditation teacher, spiritual guide. Like I'm, I'm curious as to what your childhood must've been like that, <laughs> you know, has kind of, has kind of shaped some of this. Like, do you think that our, our past circumstances play into our level of ambition? Is it, is it something that we sort of cultivate along the way? Like what are some of the factors that play into that? Because I'm, I'm sure that for right. our listeners out there, they're wondering like, okay, you know, there's, there's certain areas of my life that I definitely want to be a little bit more ambitious, whether it's my fitness or my, you know, my relationship or, or finances. And is it something that I can cultivate or is it, you know, based on past circumstances? Right. Well, I definitely think past circumstances have a lot to do with it. I don't know if there's one formula. In other words, like if you have a narcissistic parent or you were raised in a high pressure household or or any of these factors, th those don't necessarily mean that you will become an ambition addict uh, yourself. But I have to say in my own life, 
first of all, I, I do consider myself an ambition addict, an ambition addict in recovery. And I think that that started at a very young age. I saw that, you know, one way to gain others' appreciation, both my parents and also peers, was to achieve. And and I was, you know, kind of a chubby kid, socially awkward, but I did well in school and happened to be also pretty strong in theater and music. And so I realized, okay, you know what? If I want other people to like me or even to love me, I need to I need to achieve in those areas. And so I started pouring a lot of energy and a lot of time and uh, into my schoolwork, into theater and music. And I think, again, it comes from this initial feeling of, wow, if I don't do that, you know, I'll be this chubby, unlikable, uh, you know, outcast misfit who's always getting in trouble, who's always disappointing his parents and, and I don't want to be that anymore. So I think I was pushing off against the past for sure. It's, it's really interesting. You, you put it in the context of needing to please others. And obviously we're very social. We're, we are social animals. But I would have thought that ambition is a very internal thing. It's like your own internal drive that you need to, to beat yourself. What are some other examples of, of signs that ambition is perhaps uh, you know, becoming a problem in your life? Yeah, well, it's it, that's a great it's a great point you're making that there's there's both internal and external signs. So I think that you know, and we can look for both. So a huge internal sign that ambition is becoming addictive is when we harbor a grandiose, uh, you know, larger than life Hollywood ending that we've decided we are going to shoot for no matter no matter what. I call that actually our any day now. And I think a lot of us have these any day nows in our head, these these fantasies. You know, for me, it would be um, I have the fantasy of being a world renowned, you know, critically acclaimed best selling author. Right. So uh, so I have this fantasy in my head and that's fine to have a you know, to have to, to have goals, even even far reaching goals. But when we have this goal and we start to focus solely on it as our soul, as, as our salvation, I think that's when it can be become really uh, dangerous. And then on the external side, so we have this internal drive for this grandiose Hollywood ending that we imagine for ourselves. And then on the external side, one of a, a number of signs to look for is, first of all, a manic pace. If one finds themselves always on the move, always going faster and faster, looking at the present moment always as prelude and wanting to get to the next thing, get to the next thing, no matter what, that can be a sign that ambition is sort of driving us beyond uh, healthy, healthy limits, healthy boundaries. Another sign, actually, of ambition addiction is starting to, to have its hold on us is when we find ourselves actually really intense, severe, and sometimes even depressed. You know, one of the things that happens with ambition addiction is that we start going on a kind of dopamine roller coaster. Now, we've got this neurotransmitter in our brains called dopamine. And dopamine is secreted in our brains when we are anticipating a hoped for goal to come. So if I'm hoping that I'm going to get a good review on my book, let's say, I might get a shot of dopamine when I'm about to click onto the review to see what it says, right? And that's a real high. That's a buzz. 
But at the same time, what ends up happening is if we don't get exactly what we want, and we all know, you know, those of us who are ambitious that we don't always get what we want, right? Then we end up really plummeting. The dopamine level declines. We feel a real low, a real kind of malaise or depression can set in. And because of that, actually, a lot of ambition addicts are pretty miserable. They're, they're either cranky or so serious and severe they can never lighten up and enjoy a joke and ease up or they turn to alcohol and drugs as the only means to, to lighten their load and relax. So I think that's something also to keep in mind as an external sign, these manic pace and this kind of severity and depression. So what are some, because this is great, like this is really fantastic information because, you know, I think I've gone through periods before where... Uh, you know, I was working like 90 hour weeks and, Mm -hmm. and I was in this, in this phase of like super ambition and a lot of things kind of fell by the wayside, health relationships and stuff like that. But what are, what are some, you know, just for the listeners that are out there that maybe have gotten to that space before or in that space right now, like what are some questions or do you, do you have a question that they can kind of ask to kind of self-recognize and self-regulate that they might be in that space um, so that they can kind of, you know, just, just write it down and, 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 and do some, do some soul searching. Sure. Well, actually I have two questions that I, I encourage everyone to ask when they're looking at their goals. So if, the, if someone suspects, look, I'm, I might be actually drifting into ambition addiction. Uh, I, might, I might be an ambition addict myself. But how do I know for sure? One of the things to do is to ask yourself about your goals, your personal or professional goals. I mean, it could be a, a goal about, you know, a promotion you want to get, or it could be a goal about, you know, you want those abs to be sculpted, you know, and, and you know, and, and how, how often you want to get to the gym to make that happen. So whatever your goal is, I I say to ask two questions about the goal. First of all, is the goal that you're shooting for an all or nothing goal? In other words, is this a goal where if you get anything less than this this huge, uh, all-encompassing dream of yours, will that be okay? So I might ask myself again, um, if, if I don't have a bestseller, but I, ha- but I have a, a book that is read by numbers of people who reach out to me and say, hey, that was really helpful, will I feel okay or will I feel inside like a failure? You know? So that's a good question to ask. And if you, answer, if you answer to yourself, no, you know what? If I don't get that goal exactly how I picture it, it nothing's going to suffice. It's not enough. I need that all or nothing goal. That is a clear sign of ambition addiction. Another question to ask yourself about your goals is, do my goals objectify myself or other people? So this is actually one that can come up a lot uh, with, let's say, our bodies. So some of us have this goal like, you know, I want to look like, you know, a rock hard cover model, you know, GQ, like, you know, with the GQ physique and I'm going to be super sexy and everyone's going to be just, you know, turning heads when I walk into a room and I'm going to go to the gym, you know, uh, five hours a day to make that happen or whatever it is. Well, one thing to ask yourself is, does that goal objectify myself? You know, am I treating my body just like a, a lump of clay, like an object that I want, I want it to do my bidding? Or am I respecting the fact that I'm a human being and that you know, fallible, imperfect, always growing? And we can say the same thing for other people because a lot of times our goals objectify others. You know, for instance, we might have a goal that our kids are 
you know, world-class soccer stars. You know, I've got two kids in, in, in uh, travel soccer right now, so I'm, I'm dealing with this, you know. Uh, we might have a dream that our kids are world-class soccer stars, but in some ways, that, that, that's sort of an objectifying goal for them, you know, where, where we've turned them from flesh and blood human beings into, into kind of figments of our imagination, into just ideas, and we want to sort of take them and move them around like little objects into a tableau that fits our dreams. And so I think if you ask yourself those two questions about all or nothing goals or objectifying goals, you really end up seeing, wow, these are just, you know, if you answer yes to either of those, these goals are destructive and maybe I need to make some adjustments. Love that. Are there some more famous examples of, of uh, you know, celebrities or I'm thinking of, you know, some, some, some athletes that are perhaps ambition addicted or, or have been ambition addicted that we can kind of use as an, as an example? Yeah, actually, I profile in the book three uh, prominent examples of, of, of individuals I think are, are ambition addicts. And there's plenty more. I mean, just pick up the newspaper <laughs> if you want to, <laughs> to, to find some other examples. But I, in particular, looked at three examples and one one person that leaped out of me actually, and it was it, partly it was because he had just written an autobiography that came out when I was working on this book, was the famed NFL coach Bill Parcells. You know, he he coached the the Giants to a couple Super Bowls, and, and he's in the Hall of Fame now. He's still alive and well, and you know, really truly one of the greats. But one of the things that was revealed in his autobiography and in writings about him was that his reaching for the Super Bowl was at the expense of his physical health, at the expense of his relationship with his family, with his daughters and his wife, and also at the expense of his spiritual well-being, which I would sort of describe as his ability to feel happy, content, and free on earth. You know, And I think that, that he, he ended up with huge physical ailments, uh, a, uh, you know, a collapsed marriage, uh, very difficult relationships with his daughters because he wasn't around for them. And then also uh, someone who w- was always seen frowning, was always seen scowling, was, w- you know, was, it was hard to find him ever joyful or happy. So that's an example, I think, of, of, of you know, let's say someone well-known. And look, he's a multimillionaire, world-famous, Hall of Famer, and so from the outside, we say, wow, Bill Parcells, man, like, you know, you know, if only I could be like Bill Parcells, my God. But at the same time, look what it cost him. And mm. I think that's something we need to factor into our equations when we're thinking, is it worth it to shoot for that dream, that all or nothing dream, that Super Bowl, whatever it is for us? I, I can't help but think of uh Tiger Woods, yeah, you know somebody sure. who I I looked up to as as my hero growing up. Uh, you know, not too much of an age difference, but essentially doing the you know all the amazing things that I always wanted to do. And and he he looked as if he was going to be the greatest, and arguably he was the greatest. But it was all to the detriment of everyone around him, his family, his parents, his uh, his kids. I mean, he totally just threw it away because he thought he was the greatest and he thought that he was, uh, uh, you know, unstoppable. That's right. And, you know, one of the things that our culture does to all of our detriment is that, you know, our culture idolizes these great heroes in whatever field they're in athletics or it could be in academics or it could be in the arts or whatever it is. We idolize them and often we really sort of look at the 
look at the, you know, the trail of destruction that some of them leave in their, in their wake. And we say, oh, isn't that unfortunate? But, you know, let's say in Steve Jobs case, but he gave us the iPhone. So it was worth it. You know what I mean? So even though he didn't acknowledge his daughter and, you know, accused his, the mother of his child, his then, you know, uh, recent ex-girlfriend, Chrisanne Brennan of having, you know, multiple affairs and denied paternity and, and didn't pay child support, even though he was a millionaire. Even so, he gave us the iPhone. He gave us these innovations. So, so you know, we're gonna we're gonna put them up on our posters um, as our or, or, a, or a certain unnamed someone gave us eight years of entertainment on The Apprentice. Right, right, <laughs> yes, exactly. I wasn't gonna go there, but I certainly think that uh, this book is coming out at a very interesting time. Oh, totally. In terms of watching ambition addicts, you know, uh, walk the earth before us and seeing the destruction that that can cause. Now, I, you know, I think that what I try to stress in the book and what I, you know, I really think is important is I'm not talking about these famous individuals in order to, to put them down or to say, look at those, look at those, you know, um, those, those awful folks that, you know, have, 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 um, made such bad choices in their life. Let's not be like them. What I'm saying is actually, no, actually, I have so much in common with Steve Jobs, with Bill Parcells, with even, you know, some of these politicians that are, you know, um, creating such a mess. I might be involved in a different field. I might have different opinions and, 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 and a different personality. But at the same time, I have those dreams too, dreams of glory and greatness. And at times in my own life, I've been willing to sacrifice physical health, intimate relationships, and spiritual well-being in order to get those dreams. So I'm saying that those individuals, you know, the Bill Parcells, Tiger Woods of the world, a lot of us, we're in the same boat with them. And that's really why I think we need to look at their example and say, okay, yeah, the money and the fame sounds good, but is it worth it? Is it worth it in Bill Parcells' case to, you know, to skip all three of your daughter's college graduations, you know, and you know, or in Martha Stewart's case, another one I profile, was it worth it to, you know, to get an insider tip to, you know, to save uh, less than 1% of her net worth? You know, uh, why, you know, why do we need to make those choices? Can't we still grow and have ambition without being so destructive? Wonderful. So that's some, that's some really great insight. And I, I love the, you know, the mainstream personable examples, because we can see, sometimes we can see in other people, the things which we can't see in ourselves, right? So it's, right. it's always good to, to sometimes look outside of ourselves. Um, but, you know, in the, in the book, you talk about a few things, you know, in terms of like the road to recovery. Um, and I was wondering if you could maybe unpack, you know, some of the, some of the steps to living a fulfilling life of, you know, healthy and productive ambition. Cause I think that that's, that's a place where, you know, all the, I'm sure that all of our listeners ultimately want to get to is how do I have healthy, productive ambition day in, day out. And, you know, that's going to create longevity in my performance, no matter, no matter what area of my life I'm working on. So, um, can you unpack some of those five steps for us to slow down, enjoy, give thanks? Absolutely. So uh, the five-step road to recovery that I created is really based on what I've seen work in my own life. And the five steps are go slow, enjoy, give thanks, donate time, and dream anew. So to just unpack them a little bit, 
the first step is actually in some ways the hardest one of all, which is go slow. Because like I said, ambition, addiction makes us want to get through this waiting room of a present moment so that we can hit that future and that dream and that any day now to come. So the first thing we need to do as ambition addicts is actually slow down. And in the book, I detail actually a number a number of mindfulness exercises that, um, you know, I have a, a lot of background in, in meditation and mindfulness and teach that now. I detail a number of mindfulness exercises that help us to slow down, to actually just, just downshift enough so that the present moment can come into focus. And then the next step, which, which comes right after that, is actually enjoy, which means to start to rewire our brain so that we're not just on a dopamine cycle of, of highs and lows, but that we're actually feeding our brain and our bodies enjoyment from the present moment. So one of the things I suggest, for instance, is to just, uh, you know, if you're, if you're finding yourself in these doldrums, you know, of dopamine withdrawal and you're just bummed because you didn't get what you hoped for, you didn't get that promotion or your kids aren't doing what you want them to do or whatever it is, one of the things you can do is actually take a break, drive over to Ben and Jerry's and get some ice cream or 31 flavors, whatever. Ben and Jerry's didn't sponsor this, but you, you get the idea. You know, um, now the, ambi- the ambitious person would try to eat all 31 flavors. That's right. Exactly. So, you know, just have a little bit, you know, and, you know take it easy, but, but have a taste, um, have some ice cream. And what that does is amazing, you know, and, or, or, or go out and shoot hoops or, you know, take a stroll in the park if that's your thing. Whatever it is that will bring you a little bit of, an, of, of ephemeral uh, enjoyment in the present moment. Because what that does is it actually rewires our brains. It gets different neurons firing. It gets different neurotransmitters to, um, to flood through our system. And it actually trains our brain that, that we can find pleasure in the present, not just in the hoped for future. So after you've done that, you've gone slow, you find some enjoyment. The next step actually, which I find to be very powerful is to give thanks, is to create some sort of gratitude practice. And in the book, I give a step-by-step instructions on how would you do this? And and I'm really geared towards the fact that not everyone is religious, not everyone is, you know, has a tradition of, let's say, giving thanks, but that this can be something we can all do in a very personal, authentic way. And I sort of walk people through how to do it. And then the next step after that is to donate time to start taking more of our time for other people. And now this was actually really transformative for me because I, I was actually writing this book, Ambition Addiction, under a kind of ambitious deadline. And <laughs> my publisher said they needed it at a certain time. And so I was pretty stressed, actually, ironically, as I was writing it. And uh, so I would have times when, like my, my daughter would, you know, uh, walk, you know, I'd, I'd wake up early to get some writing in before the kids would get up. And my, my daughter sometimes wakes up early. She's kind of a light sleeper. You know, she would like come down and be all groggy and I'd be in the middle of typing away, you know, and and dreaming of that bestseller. Right. And she, you know, she'd be like cranky and want me to pour a bowl of Cheerios. And I'd be like, you know, just, you know, give me some space. I got to write. I got to write. Pour your own Cheerios, that kind of thing. And at a certain point, actually, it got to one point where like I was telling her to leave me alone so I could write. And then I looked on the screen and I had just written the sentence you know, sometimes we need to donate our time to other people, you know, and I was like, okay, maybe this is actually, you know, maybe this is something I should, I should, you know, I should work with myself here. So 
it can be a difficult step to give time to those who are not necessarily going to get us ahead, who are not going to further our dreams. But it's a really important step. You actually just wrote a great article in Elephant Journal about this this topic as well, right? And and I I, I absolutely love it. And and for the listeners out there, it's definitely worth a read. And it's it's essentially all about uh, a, a snowstorm in, in your community. <laughs> right. And and anytime there's a snowstorm, it means that the kids have to stay home from school. And if the kids have to stay home from school, then that means that you're not going to get any work done. And so this ambitious person is all of a sudden freaking out, going. I'm not going to be able to accomplish what I need to accomplish today, which I love. I, th- I think that's a great, great, uh, great analogy, great story. Yeah. And one of the things that I found, I mean, thank you for that. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, one of the things that it happens, right. Is that, you know, my wife works full time downtown. And so sometimes she could still get, get to work, but the kids school is canceled and I'm, you know, and I'm stuck with them and I can't work. And I just feel this, you know, this kind of freak out happening inside because I have all these dreams and I want to make them come true. And here my kids are like, let's go sledding, you know. <laughs> but what I what I found every time is that actually my sense of how immediate and intense and, uh, you, you know, and and how vital it is that I get back to work is often not really based in reality. It's part of my ambition-addled mind. It's part of my uh, inability to really be in touch with reality because I'm so focused on dreams. So every time that I've taken a snow day and just chilled out and enjoyed time with my kids, I've had plenty of time to get my work done still. You know, I've, I've still been able to get things done. Even if I had to push a deadline a little bit, it was understood. Everyone gets a snow day. It's fine, you know. And a lot of times it was these demons in my head that were freaking me out when in fact, in reality, there's a lot more time than we ambition addicts think we have. And that's something I really want to stress. Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good point. Let's unpack the, uh, the last uh, tip here, which is dream anew. Right. So dream anew is, is, is the last uh, step in this road to recovery. And it's a very active step that, that can involve, you know, it can some journaling exercises, charting down, what are my goals and what are my destructive goals right now? And how can I adjust them to make them less all or nothing, less objectifying goals that are actually moving me forward in my life, but not at the detriment of my, my physical health relationships or spiritual well-being. And actually, I use the example again of Bill Parcells because he was determined from the start that he was going to win a Super Bowl. You know, he actually, there's a moment he talks about in his, in his biography when he's, he's he, you know, he almost is like down on one knee in front of his wife saying, as God is my witness, I will win the Super Bowl, you know, kind of a thing. And I asked the question, would it have been okay if he had said to himself, instead of I will win a Super Bowl, how about I will lead a successful winning team or I will finish with, uh, you know, leading the Giants to a winning record or something that's not so all or nothing, but still something that's a huge accomplishment or even the goal, I will become a professional coach. I mean, which obviously is a huge accomplishment right there. So again, I think it's not about us destroying, throwing out our dreams, you know, uh, just saying, fine, I won't try it anything anymore. I'm just going to be some kind of, you know, monk on the mountaintop. Instead, what I think we can do is just, is just, 
take our dreams down just one or two notches and suddenly we're in a realm where things are feasible and workable and we're not so stressed and we're not so desperate. And that's what I help people do in the book. Nice. That's fantastic. Um, I think we're going we're gonna to wrap up and we have some awesome rapid fire questions for you. Okay. But, <laughs> but just, before we, just before we dive into the rapid fire questions, because they're, they're always fun and our community just loves them because it gives some nice. insight into, into you and some cool stuff comes out of it. But, but just out of curiosity, I think you touched on this in the book is – you know, this idea of integrity and, and what it means to live with integrity. And so I'm curious for you, what, what does that look like for you? What does it look like to live with integrity and how does that tie into ambition? To me, to live with integrity is to live compassionately, to live compassionately towards ourselves and towards other people. I think that it's not just about our story. It's not just about our dreams. It's about other people too. So if we can be ambitious while still keeping in mind the needs of our friends, our family, our neighbors, the, the needs of the collective, our collective humanity. And if we can be compassionate towards ourselves and others, then I think that's, that's living within integrity. I think the opposite of integrity is when we become so focused on the self, so enamored with our own ego that we, we can't focus on any other any other individuals except ourselves. So turning outwards with heart, with, with compassion is, is I think that that is, is living an integrity, a life of integrity. That's really good. I like that. So you all ready for the uh, rapid fire? Oh yeah, let's do it. All right. Okay, here we go. So uh, what is your favorite part about being a man? My favorite part about being a man is the intense energy. I feel. Mm Hmm. Love it. What is your biggest challenge about being a man? The biggest challenge about being a man is that I'm always thinking about sex. And that's just totally, it's just uh, sometimes I get sort of bored with that part of my brain, but I can't ever seem to turn it off. <laughs> I feel like you just you just spoke to every single guy listening to this <laughs> podcast. Yeah, uh, yeah. What can I do, man? <laughs> uh, who is the most influential person of all time, in your opinion? The most influential person of all time. Oh, God. Um, I think, boy, I guess, I mean... How about the, this? Who has been the most influential person for you? For me, okay, that that helps. I thank you for throwing me that lifeline. Uh, my wife, actually, and mm. so I won't say she's the most influential person of all time. And I didn't do that just to get brownie points because I know that's what a lot of people are thinking. <laughs> um, but uh, she is. She actually has changed my life, and she keeps it. She keeps me real and grounded. And you know, uh, so yeah, I'm smitten. Awesome. Uh, smitten kitten, the most underrated, uh, <laughs> the most under underrated trait for modern day success. What is it? I would say, uh, patience. Mm. And what is something that everyone should experience at least once? Oh yeah. Okay. I think everyone should experience, um, living on the opposite side of the globe. Wherever they are, you just put their pin in the opposite side. And unless it's a big ocean, you know, maybe move the pin a little to the right or left or up or down. 
but go to the other side and not just for a week, like get there if they can three, six months and just see what happens. Love it. Love it. Let's say you go to that opposite, opposite side of the world and you end up on a, on a desert island. What book do you bring with you? Oh, yeah. I think you got to bring a book of poetry from um, one of the Sufi masters, either Rumi or Hafiz. They're the most incredible poems. And they're just like, it's all you need. Just these little nuggets of perfection. Awesome. Nice. Yeah, those those are great. Those are great books. Yeah. Um, fi- final question for you: If you were to leave a, a, a legacy in the world, what would it be? Oh wow! Just a small question. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so there's a part of me, of course, that really wants to say, like, my books are going to change lives and, and 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 you know be read for for generations to come. Uh, but I actually think I just want to leave. Uh, good, caring, uh, you know, kids that are going to grow up to be good, caring adults in this world, having good, caring kids of their own. So I really think it's my kids. Awesome. Love that. So Benjamin, you've got the new book out. It's called Ambition Addiction. Um, You can, you can pick it up on Amazon or, or in bookstores as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Amazon or or bookstores around town, or yeah, or you can also check it out on my website too. And guys, you you can't you can't miss it. It's got a a, a carrot uh, on the <laughs> on the front cover. It's it's very eye catching. Um, so you just mentioned your website. What's what's the best way people can learn more about you? Uh, reach out, say hi, ask any questions. Yeah, so I'm I definitely write back if people want to reach out to me through my website. It's www.benjaminshalva. B e n j a m i n S H A L V A Benjamin Shalva.com. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, drop me a line or check out the books and other, and other teachings uh, up on the website. And, uh, I've even got some meditation recordings and things like that up there. And I'd love to, love to hear from you. Awesome guys. The book is called ambition addiction, how to go slow, give thanks and discover joy within, uh, Benjamin. Thank you so much for joining us guys out there. If you want to learn more about man talks, you can go to mantalks.com where we have all sorts of, uh, new blog posts. Uh, we've got all of our podcasts as well as any updates on our events. Uh, of course, please subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher or wherever you download your podcast so that you never miss an episode. And, uh, we always love it when you leave a, a review on iTunes or Stitcher, it helps man it forward and get the Man Talks podcast into as many ears as possible. Thank you so much for listening to the Man Talks podcast. Catch us next week for another interview as we build better men through conversation, connection, and community together. 